Hey nerds, welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and I am all by my lonesome for this introduction. Uh, wow, what a fun conversation this is, that it, uh, was, is, is going to be for you guys to hear. I interviewed Josh Mallerman, who is best known as the author of Bird Box and Mallory and Inspection and all a myriad of things, but obviously Bird Box being the thing that took the world by storm when it came out. Um, especially on Netflix. Josh has, uh, has a new book that came out uh, last week, I think, two weeks ago by the time you hear this, perhaps. It's called Goblin. And it is a collection of novellas about a city, town, township, whatever you want to call it, called Goblin. And all these stories kind of tie in together. And they're so spooky and so creepy. And the town itself is a delightful character in these in these stories. And wow, we definitely one of those conversations where we just hit it off instantly. I will tell you guys, uh, because you don't know about this, because you wouldn't see it or hear it. At the end of the podcast, when I went through the Nerd 9, we talked about what types of cats or dogs. He said dogs. And it turned out that he has a Weimaraner and a Vishla, just like I have a Weimaraner and a Vishla. So we spent 15 minutes at the end of this podcast uh, off recording letting our dogs meet each other via zoom because we are equally nerdy uh but just really great conversation about how he built out this world and how he writes and um the idea of building additional stories into this world because he's created this truly what i think is an iconic town and i think more stories need to be written in it but yeah so much fun he was one of those people where i kind of bonded with him immediately and now I can't wait for uh, travel to be opened back up because I want him to go on a book tour so he can come to the Cleveland area so we can hang out and he can meet my dogs. Uh, yeah, just a blast. Definitely check out Goblin. Uh, it's, as I like to joke, it's almost June, which means it's basically fall, which means it's pretty spooky season and Goblin is a perfect book for that. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always reach us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Be sure to shoot us a, an email at professionalbooknerds. Oh, sorry, you can always reach us the email professionalbooknerds.overdrive.com. You can go to our website professionalbooknerds.com if you want to see any and all of our episodes, or just shoot us a tweet or an Instagram message at probooknerds. Uh, love hanging out with people there as well. Definitely, definitely, if you're new to this podcast because you're hearing it with Josh for the first time, you're going to want to subscribe because my goodness, do we have some incredible authors and episodes coming up in the near future for you? So. Um, yeah, that's just about everything. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Josh Mallerman on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Yeah, we really just love, like, I'm just curious always about the literary world because I live in it so much and I'm just, I love it. And we just like nerding out about this kind of stuff. So yeah, it's very, very laid back, very easygoing, exactly like you said, like, plus it, lets you have a little bit more of a long form conversation as opposed to like when you are doing a, like a press tour for, you know, for bird box. And they're like, we've got three minutes with you. Right. Tell right. us how, what inspired this. And then we're going to ask you like your favorite sandwich, like you know, right. that kind what, of stuff. what inspired this and what do the creatures look like? Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have, I have thoughts on like creatures and stuff too. I want to get to, but okay. So, so we can just kind of, like I said, I'll edit around everything, but we can kind of like kick it off. If you want to give our listeners an, an introduction to Goblin and then we'll go from there. Sure. Goblin 
is, uh, it's an, I consider it a novel, but it is six novellas that make up the novel. And essentially the main character of Goblin is Goblin itself, which is mm -hmm. the city of Goblin. And these six novellas focus on six various randomly obsessed, not randomly, um, variously obsessed Gobliners. And so we get a pretty strong window of what life is like in the city of Goblin through those who live there. Yeah, and so I have I have so many questions and things that excited me about this first. But like first of all, this has existed for a, a while, right? Like this has been something that you wrote a long time ago, correct? So it's really, I mean, I'll tell you like the story really as fast as I can. Um, Goblin <laughs> was the second book I, I wrote. I've written 33 now. And I've had, I think nine of them have come out, including a few years ago, a special edition of Goblin. And, and really what happened was when Bird Box, which is the first book I put out uh, or was released, um, when it came out, I had already had like 14 novels written. And these weren't, to me, they weren't trunk novels. They were all, I just wasn't, I didn't have a publisher. I wasn't famous or yeah. whatever, whatever, however you want to say it. So they weren't coming out. So there was a backlog and I got mm -hmm. a call from an amazing author named Christopher Golden. Who's like, listen, I hear that you have all this, this backlog of books. I have some advice for you on how you can put some more out. One way is through limited editions. Mm -hmm. And he put me in touch with this fella, Paul Miller at Earthling Publications. And because um, most publishing houses are okay with you doing a limited edition because it doesn't eat into the sales of whatever book of yours they're trying to sell. There's mm -hmm. only so many of the limited that can sell. So yeah. Paul, I sent him Goblin, which has been, I mean, I don't know if it's weird for an author to say this, but it's been a favorite of, favorite of mine yeah. from the start. And so I sent that to Paul, he's like, let's do it. And it's almost like the ideal scenario unfolded, which is Goblin, you know, uh, the limited edition came out, did well. Um, and then a couple years later, Del Rey was like, hey, can we give it the wide release? Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, this is exactly what you would want to have happen with the limited edition. So yeah. that's the publishing side history of Goblin. Mm -hmm. In terms of the writing of it, the first novel that I ever wrote, um, I realized shortly after, that it was, uh, it was more a collection of short stories than a novel. And the reason I say that is, it was two guys investigating a, a house in their hometown. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, they ask a bunch of locals about this house. And so it's really just all the locals' short stories about this house. Yeah. So I kind of realized, I was like, it, rather than feel like, oh, you didn't really write a novel. It was more <laughs> of a collection. I more saw it as like, well, maybe that's something that this is a path for you to write mm -hmm. books. And so Goblin was what came next, where I was like, I'm gonna do that again, but in a much more focused way. Now it's like all, like the town, like I said, the town is our main character. Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, any story that happens inside of it, the main character remains in the story. Yeah, okay, so when writing a story like Goblin, where the, the city, like you said, it really is, the town really is the main character. When people read it, they will absolutely discover that. What comes first for you? Is it the concept of the city or is it stories that you think you want to tell within? I'm guessing I know the answer, but for you, like what, like from a craft, craft standpoint, which one came first? Well, I had a couple of the ideas first. I had, um, it's weird because it's kind of the most absurd is really the first story in, in terms of <laughs> a man in slices. And I had that idea. And I also 
for a while now I've had Walter Camp, which to me, he is the ultimate gobliner because yeah. not only is he completely haunted by it and completely rattled <laughs> and, and fearful of everything and living, I mean, it's almost like he lives in a frequency of fear. Like that's where he exists, right? Yeah. But he's also the most knowledgeable. He's also mm -hmm. the, probably the smartest man in town. He knows all the history. He was a teacher. He, so Camp is like, he's not just like a shell of a man. He's also like a fount of information. So for me, from the word go, Walter was like, the, like uh, I could go to him for anything. I could go mm -hmm. to him for scares. I could go to him for information. I could go to him for sympathy. I can go to him for being out of his mind crazy. Like, please put him out of his misery, right? Yeah. And I, so I had him... And I had the, the two dudes, uh, Richard and Charles, walking around mm -hmm. town and started writing. I wanted to get there first. So that was the delivery driver. And it's almost embarrassing to say this, but I was originally calling the town Rolling Hills, which <laughs> is an address in the book now. Yeah. But I'm talking about like, oh, I've never been to Rolling Hills. I kissed <laughs> my, uh, my first girl in Rolling Hills. Uh, I have a package and I'm like, Dude, this, do this doesn't even sound like a suburb. This sounds like a subdivision. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Two streets like with like, like, like some like bushes. Mm -hmm. It's like, welcome to Rolling Hill. I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I was talking to a girl and she, I don't know exactly how it came up in natural conversation, but she used the word goblin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. And she's like, yeah. what? that's the name of the city. That's it. It's goblin. And she was like, that, didn't the city's name got, I'm, like, that, I'm telling you, that's it. So to answer your question, had a couple ideas, mm -hmm. but when Goblin, which I had a sense of the city, when it was named for as superficial as that might sound, just a name, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened there where I was like, okay, I get it now. This is Walter lives here. These two guys live here, like they're locals. They are citizens of mm -hmm. Goblin. And at that moment, the book, sort of unfolded for me oh and it's just like it's perfect because it's a word that for readers like it calls to mind something immediately like if you say there's a town called goblin you immediately get some sort of it's like in, you know, in real life like salem like when someone's like this story takes place in salem you immediately like a like a something goes off in your brain you're like oh i think i get it and like the stories that you tell in goblin fit and it immediately like it's always raining everything is kind of like dark and mysterious and the the, the police are kind of like zombie like sort of a thing like <laughs> that it fits it just fits and, and something that you do that I love I love when stories do this is yes like you said there I would agree with you that it's a novel yes it's six novellas but like the stories tie together and so because they are six unique stories that fit together like how did you go about doing that were you like going back into some stories when you were writing others and being like oh I can put this character here and xyz because they fit together so seamlessly but obviously you aren't right <laughs> at least I don't think you're writing six stories like simultaneously I don't know that would be even more wild that would be well that's interesting because I'm somewhat interested in writing a, a return to goblin which is the silliest mm -hmm title ever I picture Walter Camp with like his hair blowing in the wind hugging like a palm tree <laughs> I returned to Goblin um but no it was a little of both but mostly the former well mostly um it mostly it worked itself out but at the end there were things I don't want to 
um, uh, spoil something, but for yeah. example, what the two boys find in the bushes by the Milky Way, stuff like that. Like at the end, I'm like, okay, wait, I can use these. I can use in the rewrite, I'm like, be aware of the other stories. Yeah. But if you think about it, the first three, especially, it's almost like the first three set up or world build because mm -hmm. first you get the two boys, um, the one boy introducing the other boy to Goblin. He's mm -hmm. like, welcome to town, essentially. This is the, the adult movie theater. This is, the <laughs> hotel. this is Goblin Games. This is Parish Park. This is the cemetery. So you get the layout of the land. In the second story, uh, the only thing that ever calms Walter Camp down is talking history. So thanks to Mrs. Doris, we get the history of Goblin through camp. So now you have the layout. Now you have the history. And then the third story now you get why the owls are off limits. Now you get the rules of Goblin, mm -hmm. which through Neil Nash, who wants to break the rules. And so it's really not until there's a visitor, a uh, Roman emperor in story four, Presto, that now the world has been built mm -hmm. and now we're just existing in Goblin. And, I, and that was not something consciously done. It's like I had like that mapped out. But yeah. when I was doing the rewrite, I really noticed that. I was like, oh, you... I see what's happening here. The world is built in the front half of the book. And then now mm -hmm. we get, now we get out visitors, uh, casualty and Dirk Rogers and the ultimate, you know, another ultimate gobliner in Wayne Sherman. Yeah. Um, for listeners who, I mean, obviously most of you will not have read the book yet when you hear this, but I, I like a light bulb went off to me when I realized what I was picturing is um, the movie trick or treat. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that's literally like I'm like I was like, oh wait a minute, this is this reminds me of like a like a version of that where like it's this really messed up town with these really messed up characters who yours your stories intertwine more than theirs do, but you get those like nods in that movie, and I was like, oh wait a minute, this is kind of I, I love that movie, man, yeah. I, and I have the uh, soundtrack to it also. So good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what is it about? Uh, like a truly I, I love this like using like a truly dark creepy city as a setting I mean obviously like I feel like the most famous one in a horror is like Derry by you know Stephen King from it um but there's I, I love when this is like this sort of happens is there's this town that you kind of can't escape from but like, what is it about you that makes that such a powerful framing structure for a horror novel I think that again, once it's established, it's kind of like the Twilight Zone, right? So, well, let me clarify that. I, the Twilight Zone is some, a place you kind of accidentally end up in. Like you sure. park your car and you walk on the other side of a hill and all of a sudden you're in the Twilight Zone. Goblin is a, is a fixed place, right? Mm -hmm. so, so there's obviously a big difference. But I think that once you do have that location, whether it's ethereal or real, literally anything can happen inside of it and you maintain the underscore, you, you maintain that the, the, I guess what would be the silent soundtrack of a book, the mood is mm -hmm. only there because it's in Goblin. So there could be a funnier or a lighter episode of the Twilight Zone, but it's yeah. still in the Twilight Zone and that mm -hmm. adds something to us, that adds something for us. Like there's, in Twilight Zone, the movie, there's the heartwarming segment um, with Kick the Can that Spielberg directed. And mm -hmm. the other segments are all like scarier and harsher. Yeah. But that one, you're like, oh, you could, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's the soft one or something like that. Now I'm like, no, it's still the Twilight Zone though. Mm -hmm. And same thing here. So what that does is it, as an author, it's like liberating as hell. Cause yeah. you're like, well, anything goes then. 
-hmm. And like, the, the, it's already established. Thanks to Goblin, all I have to do, if I have a story that, um, you know, is feeling too far out or too detached, have them sit on a bench in Parish Park. Now yeah. attached to Goblin again. Have them throw out something into a can that says, keep Goblin clean. Have mm -hmm. them, and all of a sudden you're still tied to the book. And so there was something extremely liberating in that way. And the second part of that answer would be that I think that it's often like difficult to maintain a mood for like a 400, 500 page horror novel, whether it's a mood mm -hmm. or thread or whatever it is. Bird Box is a shorter novel. And I think that that, and I think that that one does, I did maintain one mood throughout. But once you start to get the 300, 400, 500, it's just not easy. And they'll mm -hmm. be like, your favorite horror novels will have like dips or like, I don't know, bad jokes or yeah. that you think are boring or whatever. The novellas make it so the arcs are, are smaller and you can maintain Walter's story for 120 pages rather than 400. You can maintain Neil Nash's crazy obsession for 120 pages rather than 500. And thanks to that, they can start to use each other and mm -hmm. Goblin is our umbrella. So there are many aspects of this that like, honestly, to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm thinking about writing another one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's if you think about it, I, I don't know why more horror like maybe it's because horror stories tend to usually be standalones because um you know there's usually a, a villain or a monster or something and there's a right. resolution at the end but i'm thinking about uh, th while you were giving me that answer think about how like so often when you think of fantasy novels a lot of book one if it's a series is world building and then exactly what you said like after the first maybe two or 300 pages of a, a fantasy novel, we're in the world, we accept it. And so then when we meet a new character and it's just like, oh, that's a crazy thing that's happening. Why is that happening? It's, we don't say, why is it happening? It's like, oh, because they're a Narnia or whatever the answer is. Why? So why not do that with a horror novel where you say like, oh, wow, this is, why did this happen? It's like, oh, because we're in Goblin. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like you, you've spent you spend this novel like telling these different stories that does build this lore. I say keep going with it. I, I'm for it. Plus, yeah. I want to read more. Of them. <laughs> Goblin again. I keep picturing like camp yeah. and Nash in like a lagoon or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or like with like in Hawaii. Yeah, um, but... <laughs> it's like the same as all the college years. <laughs> so yeah, and and there's just there's something about it where I, I guess I don't. It's funny, I don't mean for this to come off the wrong way, but it's like, let's say one, let's say you do six or seven and one of them is a lemon even. Mm -hmm. so, so what? Like somehow yeah. that's okay too. Like it's okay. It's, yeah. it's liberating beyond just the writing, the arc, the maintaining the mood, the characters, like what do I do with them now? It yeah. also says like, hey, if one of the six isn't as good as the others, I don't know. Maybe that's interesting too. It really frees you up. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it's television shows do it all the time. Obviously, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like the you know, there's episodes of Buffy where like the one where they're they were singing everything, and it's like, all right, well, that's random. But then there's also uh, episodes where it's just like, oh my god, this is what I remember. Like they're all part of the series. So they're all I, part right. It becomes like part of like the tapestry. Mm -hmm. And so I'll even think like, let's just take Stephen King as he's prolific as hell, and we, a lot of us know. A lot of his books so like even he's said like there's been a few you know lemons along the way 
but mm-hmm. those lemons along the way almost become like uh, uh, interesting artifacts. Yeah. They're like, exactly. why was this one bad? Like, why? And then you read it, and there's something interesting in and of itself mm-hmm. of being what it is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one book of Goblin, um, you don't maybe want one of those in there. But if, like, you know, I, I don't know, why not another volume with like eight novellas? And, and I don't know, it just, there's something, there's something exciting about that. Well, and also you as a person who in throughout your career, you've been a singer songwriter, you've written novellas, you've written full novels, you've done a serialized novel like you. I feel like it I feel like I'm just kind of being like your hype man at this point to do this next version of it. But it's like you've done all these different types of storytelling structures. And I feel like now that you've built the world like hell, write a couple of poems from Goblin, write a full like novel once, write more novellas like got so many you have so many options like do a whole album you know i i don't know i just know that's like- that's really that's really smart because i here i am talking about being liberated with it but i'm still fastened to how this book was Bellas, done. Yeah. I mean, be like that like mm-hmm. it could be like you said poems it could be I, i'm just think just mm-hmm. just expand a little here it could be anything uh you're a hundred percent right hundred percent right mm-hmm. and i you know it's interesting because we there are um, famous examples of like novel- collections of novellas in horror, right? Mm-hmm. Different seasons. Um, Joe Hill has, uh, what's it called? Uh, Strange Weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's others too. And it's funny, like different seasons feels like tied together just by calling it winter, spring, summer, fall, right? Yeah. And then like, oh, I guess it's tied together. But this, to sit down and do that which is something I'm kind of working on right now, almost feels um, naked or, or untethered without, without that unification of the city itself. Yeah. So the, the best example that I can think of in, in that I know of is Winesburg, Ohio, which is, uh, do you know that? It's like Sherwood Anderson from like the 30s or something. Yeah, a little bit. I'm, yeah, so I'm from Ohio. So I'm from anything that's oh, like yeah. oh, yeah. storytelling. Yeah, so yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. So, and that's like each of those stories is like for reader, for listeners, is like, um, you know, uh, a different character in the city, different citizen, whatever, uh, dealing with sort of the loneliness or the, the problems of small town life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in a way it's similar, but this is, you know, on steroids or, or uh, a horror version. And there's just, it's, it's it, the whole time you feel like you're visiting that town. Mm-hmm. And so you're not just getting to know this, this man, this woman, this whoever, you're also visiting this town the whole time. Yeah, I and exactly what you said. It's like they become very much a part. I'm trying to think of like um, Wendell Berry is another version of that, where like he writes these small town books in Kentucky in this um, like Port Royal, I believe is called it, that I've read a bunch of. And it's the same thing. It's like the you kind of see snippets of each other's stories. But yeah, I I love that. I I am like I said. I just think it's something I and I know you have so many other stories and things that you're working on. But um, I just yeah, I think that there's ground. There's there's room in God. There's room in Goblin for so many more stories, and yeah. structure can be whatever it is. But um, something else I want to ask you about. I I was thinking about a, a lot of your writing, and um, I feel like there's this concept in some of your stories of like being trapped, like in inspection. The the main characters. I'm gonna tread carefully for people who haven't read your other books. The main characters are kind of trapped more or less in these towers, even if they don't realize that they are. Um, I feel like in Bird Box, there's sort of like a, a sense that they're trapped, but it's really like by this fear of this incomprehensible monster thing. And I mean, there's literally in Unburied Carol, like 
she's literally trapped in a box um, <laughs> it, where you kind of can't escape. And they're like goblin to an extent, like, I don't want to say they're trapped, but like in the, within the confines of the city is where all these insane things happen and kind of trapped. They're like, is that a key aspect of horror for you? Like that kind of concept of feeling like you can't escape something. Do you think that's, that's key to being scared? Well, I have to, I have to say, like, I can't even believe this after this long um, <laughs> books out. I've, I've never been asked that question. I've never thought about that before, but I do know this, that when someone asks me, what do I think the scariest thing is? Um, and you know, what scares you the most? The two things that come to mind are losing your mind, like literally mm -hmm. losing, like snapping and losing your mind. And then even uh, potentially getting it back, meaning you have to live with the fact that it was gone for a minute. Um, and the other one is, uh, um, I, it's a little more complex, but like the inability to be yourself, the, yeah. the shackles, the cage, the whatever it is, the lack of freedom to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And both those things are in Bird Box. I had never <laughs> thought of that. Both those things are in Goblin. Both those mm -hmm. things are in Inspection for sure. Absolutely. Um, and that is interesting. Yeah, I've never, I mean, it makes total sense that I would gravitate towards that because like for me, it's like identity is sort of like the, um, the most like fascinating or interesting thing that we've got going on, mm -hmm. right? Because to me, it's, I guess it's like this, it's obvious, you know, people will say, oh, it's all your perspective. However you see the world is through your eyes, right? And this just seems like something to say, but it's literally actually true. Like I have a friend, mm -hmm who was really struggling with her situation, her life and stuff. And she was also living with her family. And I was like, listen, a lot of these other things sound like they might be taken care of if you just move out of your parents' house. And why? Because now you have a different um, driveway you're pulling into every day. There's a different set of steps. There's a different front door. There's a different smell of the place. There's a different, so for you to shake up your literal worldview, what you're sensory experiencing, I think it'll do something for you. And, and she did, and it did. And I think about that self, that, I, that concept with myself all the time. And what it says to me though, is like, wow. So it really is a matter of like, the, like whether I'm, I understand we all struggle with anxiety and, and stuff a bit out of our control, yeah. but in a smaller sense that it's up to me whether or not, like I woke up today and like at the wrong side of the bed or in a weird mood about my career even. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, dude, uh, Sandra Bullock played Mallory in a movie yeah. <laughs> and you have a podcast today about Goblin. And, yeah. and so it's up to me. And that all like flipped like immediately. And all that was, was me just seeing it that way. Mm -hmm. So identity to me and like worldview and like how you view yourself, this kind of thing. If you are in a position where you can't be yourself, yeah. like inspection, like, I guess Carol's not really like that, but Inspection and Goblin, where Goblin's like, I mean, they're in a weird way, there's like Stockholm Syndrome in Goblin. A little bit, where yeah. They're like, where they're like, I don't think any of them, like they're all like really um, affected by that town, but I don't think they want to leave. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah, you understand. It's a long-winded sort of answer to what you're saying, but it, it is the first time anyone's ever asked me it, so I got to think more about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, I've seen you say, I think recently even like on Twitter, about like how when you write, you're trying to scare yourself. And so, I mean, it makes sense that you would write about things that either make you anxious or give you, anxi you, know, give you anxiety or things that you are scared about. And I think deep down inside, like we're all, you know, like imposter syndrome is very real. Like every time I 
do this podcast, I'm reminded, I'm like, oh no, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm good at this. I can do this. But it's like in between those episodes, I'm like, Jesus, does anyone want to hear me go on and on? But it's like, I imagine writing about things that, that are scary to you. If you can, you know, it's kind of like, if you can scare yourself, you can scare a reader, but like, does it feel cathartic for you? Or is it very stressful to write about those things while you're doing oh. it? Cathartic. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I don't, I'm trying to give you like another example. I'm thinking, I'm like looking, uh, oh, oh, the best example of what we're talking about right now is Carpenter's Farm. So mm-hmm. that's the one that I serialized on my website for free. And literally what it's about is a guy inherits a farm where personality traits grow. Mm-hmm. So he invites his, and he's like, unrecognizable to his friends when they come to visit him on this farm. Why? Because he's ingested all the traits that he believes that Mm -hmm. he would want, like bravery, courage, fortitude, you know, uh, uh, now he's a a people person. Now he's, this. it wasn't any of these things before, but then to make matters worse, he doses all their salads with the traits that he thinks they need. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no reversing this. So, but whereas it might seem, for example, it might, let's say, um, let's say a person went to all up to Carpenter's farm because mm-hmm. they were cheated on, right? And they can't get over it. So they're like, hey, where is the forgiveness? I need to eat some forgiveness so I can get past this moment. So I would warn that person if I was Oliver Carpenter, I'd be like, okay, listen, the forgiveness is over there, mm-hmm. but I want you to be aware that that good trait comes with some potentially bad ones, which is if you forgive your partner for cheating on you, you may then begin to wonder if you are meek or a floor mat or, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it could come with its own inverse thing. So Carpenter's Farm is literally a nightmare of identity because yeah. put it this way, if somebody scrambled your identity or gave you a little more sense of humor and a little of this, would you be able to put it back together? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then does that mean that you don't know yourself? Mm-hmm. And that's, well, a, that's a scary concept to me. Yeah. Well, and also I imagine like the fact that a lot of, you know, I know that a, a ton of writing comes from life experience. And obviously over the last year, we've all struggled to be able to have life experience. But I imagine the fact that so much of your writing does, you know, it's well thought out and creative versions of what's going on in your mind, but it, it, it's things that like you are thinking about, whether it is anxiety or your career or things that, you know, talking about your own identity. Like I have to imagine having those be a lot of the sources of where your content comes from has helped you over the past year when maybe you couldn't, you know, go see a different town or explore the world a little bit. Like I have to imagine that's been pretty helpful from a, a productivity and a creativity standpoint. Yeah. Do you, are you saying like? Do you mean that there's been? Do you say like say it again? I want to make sure that I understand before. Yeah, I just that I the fact that so much of what you write comes from sort of like these like almost like personal fears or anxieties and things, and not like having seen something out in the world. I have to imagine the fact that so much of it comes from like what's going on in your own mind and kind of your own spirit. I guess I have to imagine that's helped over the last year where you aren't able to kind of refill the kind of like cup of, ex- of life experience that we would all normally have. And I know that authors so frequently pull from when you're telling stories. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and also um, the only, like the ultimate sort of like, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but the ultimate sort of guilt trip I get is when I'm not here working on stuff regularly. And mm-hmm. over the last year, I literally had no choice. First yeah. of all, we don't have any kids and mm-hmm. I don't have a day job. Right. So 
I like, I mean, and we're not, there's no parties going on. There's no, we're not allowed to travel. <laughs> so it was like, um, well, there's certainly no excuse now if you don't get yeah. signed. And I'm not going to go so far to say that's a silver lining of a pandemic because there is, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, right? There is yeah. no, but, but at the same time, it was, I started working out every day, writing mm-hmm. almost every day. Um, Allison's been working on this amazing project outside. Um, she's a, she's an artist in a million different ways. Yeah. Um, and it's, in a sense, it has been like, okay, let me put it this way. So when the pandemic started, I didn't, I thought it would have been the worst thing in the world to read about a pandemic, like horror story. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then I read um, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers. Wanderers, yeah. Right? And I'm during yeah. this, right? And at first I'm like, oh God, it's stressing me out. You know, like, oh, what am I doing? Why am I reading this right now? You know, but then it struck me like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like what's happening in the world? You could argue Mallory, the book is similar because of her uh, staunch uh, pro-mask, you know, pro-blind yeah. and Chuck's for a million different reasons and uh, the right wing going nuts and all this shit. Mm-hmm. So, but then you start realizing like, wait, what's happening out here? Isn't that unrelatable? So what that says to me is, well, if we were able to imagine what's happening in the world, maybe we are also able to solve it. So reading Chuck's book actually in the end calmed me down. Yeah. And I did I, not expect that. I know, I know exactly what you mean because actually one of the like well over a year now, one of the last in-person interviews I did before everything went on Zoom was um, I interviewed Emily St. John Mandel for the glass house or the glass hotel. But we were joking because it was like, it seemed like the pandemic might become a real thing. And like, she even told me like when we stopped recording, I I told her at that point, I hadn't read station 11 yet. Like, because I just, for whatever reason, I hadn't gotten to it. And she's like, jokingly was, she's like, well, if you're nervous about this potential pandemic thing, maybe don't read station 11 because it's a pandemic book as well. I was like, what do you mean? And then like, I kind of like exactly what you were saying. Like early on in the pandemic, I, was like terrified of reading anything that I was looking for as much escapism as possible. And then I finally was like, I'm going to lean into this because I, I do. It's like, you want to find the answers. You want to find some hope where it may be in the world. It doesn't feel like there is any, like, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. And I started the pandemic reading um, Terry Brooks, uh, Shannara books, which were like, so my God, it was like soul balm. It was like, mm-hmm. it was fun. It was um, imaginative as hell, but without like, the um, turbulence of a horror novel, which is really home for me is, you know. (laughs) So I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. This is perfect. I'm like stuck at home. I'm worried about stuff and I'm just getting like an adventure from this guy. And so I started, I'm always a little hesitant to use the word like escape. Just, I don't know why. I just feel Mm -hmm. like that like belittles his book in some way. I know people don't don't mean it that way, but, but so, but here I am, I'm like, oh my God, thank God. And then I read Chuck's book because I was asked to blurb it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, here I go. I'm going to read like a thousand page pandemic story. Oh my God, <laughs> about crazy right wingers. And, and I, in the end, yeah, again, yeah. I was like, that helped. Yeah, actually <laughs> when we're recording this, um, people will hear it after the fact, but the episode of our podcast that's coming out on, on Monday is um, Christina Henry, who's also another wonderful horror writer. And uh, we were, were talking about her, near, her, new, her newest book, Near the Bone, which is set on a mountain and just horrible things happen on this mountain. And I was, and I read it in the dead of winter, like when I couldn't escape my own house. And I was like, this feels on the nose as hell, but it did. It like felt so <laughs> wonderful to read. Yeah. 
Oh. I have an interesting story about her real fast. Yeah, absolutely. So in, it must have been February, I was on a panel at Comic-Con in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was me, Daniel Krause, Joe Hill, and Christina Henry. Mm-hmm. And it was glorious. The four of us made so much sense together. Oh, intellectually, yeah. sense of humor. Like I loved her. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole Joe Hill, I met him that day and we've had a bunch of interactions since then, um, events and stuff and Krauss is incredible. So it was just a really golden quartet, right? In, in, in to be a part of and And then, you know, the panel ends, we all sort of like say our goodbyes and wow, that was amazing. Whenever mm-hmm. Alice and I get in the car and we drive back home and when we get back home, so maybe it was early March because when we got back home, like a few days later was the lockdown starting. Yeah. And, and it was like, for that whole, for the duration of this lockdown, Christina Henry, Joe Hill, and Daniel have been almost like the last people I saw. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's like, I almost think of them standing in this like mist yeah. of me saying, all right, I'll see you guys soon. And no, we I won't see you soon. You won't see you soon. Right now. Yeah. And holy cow. So yeah, she has a, she has a special place in like my memory and heart. Uh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, and we've talked of she and I have done a few podcasts now and every time we have to like she had, behind her when she records she has all these really wonderful like 80s and 90s movies posters and one of them is the Iron Giant and like we like we talked for like 20 minutes about the Iron Giant before we even started recording our podcast but um, that's <laughs> um, okay so towards the end of our podcast we like to ask nine lighthearted questions not that anything I've asked you has been super heavy but uh, call them the nerd nine just because I like alliteration uh, and the first one is, what is the last book you finished reading? The last book I finished reading, hold on. This oh, is- see, you guys, well, you guys can't see this. Josh is doing the classic author thing where he's surrounded by books right now and he's looking around his room. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to remember what's literally the last book that I finished reading. Uh, I mean, it was only like days ago. Well, I'll also accept maybe something you're reading now um, or just pick a book, either way. <laughs> Come, with, Come With Me by Ronald Malfi is, mm-hmm phenomenal like it's um it's one of those things where i as a writer and i I imagine that other musicians probably feel this way too he has such a grip on the storytelling the narration Mm -hmm. that it's i'm like in awe of it man it's like i'm just like it only he could be almost telling me anything in like any story it's just the tone of voice the way it's used it reminds me of like algernon and blackwood like old Mm -hmm. school storyteller there's something like classy about it but also it's a horror story and and it's a guy and his wife died but like it's just so well done and and i would recommend this to anyone so come with me ronald malfi nice uh do you have a favorite place to read yeah it's just it's really just in my office with i bring in this or i put my uh feet up like on the desk but i like to have on the computer like a horror movie playing on like on silent yeah I just kind of like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a little ADD or something where I'll just be like, I'll be reading and then I'll look over and see Vincent Price. I'm like, yeah. And then I keep reading, look over and see Peter Cushing. Yeah, keep reading. <laughs> that is the most horror novel answer, horror writer answer possible. <laughs> so much. Um, okay, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were younger? I do. And it's odd because I haven't read that much of him. And, I, and it's one that he put out with a pen name. So it's The Face of Fear by Brian Coffey, who's actually Dean Koontz. Mm-hmm. And I must have been, 
who knows, nine, 10, whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. But it was, this, you're gonna be like, dude, it's all one setting. It's all in an office building. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I'm trapped in an office building. <laughs> and I didn't realize any of this till right now. And I feel like I'm almost just like, we had like a therapeutic breakthrough just now. <laughs> and, um, and, and I couldn't get over, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this whole book's just in an office building. Like yeah. every, it's all just, there's no story all over the world. It's not a, a 10 million leagues under the sea. It's not, it's just uh -huh. in an office building where Lord, there's like a killer on the loose somewhere in the building and the woman after hours is trying to escape him. And so that, Oh, that blew open doors for me that like yeah. anything goes now in a book. And again, I haven't read enough. I've read like three of his mm -hmm. and I probably should have read like 20 of his by now, but yeah. the face of fear by Dean Koontz was like a rocket launcher for me. That's awesome. Um, when we're allowed to travel again, what's one place you'd like to go that you have not yet been to yet? Hawaii mm -hmm. and me and uh, Allison are, are, I've been to 48 States, not Hawaii and, uh, and Alaska. And Allison has been there and she wants to go. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it. My, I have real dreams of going, she's 100% Finnish. And I have real dreams of like going to Helsinki and seeing yeah. Finland and, and all that. But first Hawaii, and then we'll open first. our eyes to other stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Uh, every time is New Year's, every time. It's my, it's really? my absolute favorite. Why? Because, <laughs> because to me, it's like, I'm a fan of like um, setting goals. Mm -hmm. And like, so every New Year's, it's like, all right, two more books and another album this year. Let's go, let's go. We can do it. And especially if you make it to New Year's and you had done that. And you're like, yeah. And you get like wasted and you're like, all right, <laughs> this time next year, I want two new books and a, and a new album. So New Year's has always been, yeah, like electrifying for me. Awesome. Uh, coffee or tea? For sure, coffee. Yeah. Uh, cats or dogs? Oh man, that's no, I can't do it. So the reason I ask for some context, <laughs> my co-host Jill, she has four cats. I have two dogs, including one who you right behind me. He's sleeping. I did. Up. I saw him or her. Yeah, I always forget to tell people. Um, I, but this is why we always ask because we've done a few episodes where like she'll do cat books when I'm not there, and or I'll do like do dog books, and the, we get more hilarious feedback from listeners about our cat and dog stuff than like almost anything. So we got to ask everybody. Okay, check it out. We have a Weimariner. Do you know Weimariners? I have a, uh, my other dog is a Weimariner. This is a Vishla who's sleeping behind Wait, me. are you kidding me? That's what we have, a Weimariner and Vishla. That's what we are have. Are you kidding me? I kind of want you to meet them right now. I, yeah, we'll tell you what. We'll finish with the last questions and okay. then we'll do that. I'll let you see them both, yeah. You have, really? You have both? Yeah, right. I have like, I have like a million. Oh my God, hello, buddy. Oh my yeah, god. Okay. Well, so we'll we'll get through the rest of our questions. And oh you my and god. Okay. 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 Yeah. That's like. I mean, these two are beyond dog to me. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. in the Lime Riders, intelligence is off. Basically a person. Off. Yeah. Basically a person. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's go on. Okay. <laughs> all right. So uh, all right. Now I'm like off to. I got I have two more of these, and we're gonna talk about dogs. Um, favorite food. <laughs> well, I've been veggie for about. Uh, five five years now and um Are we the same person same literally like same <laughs> allison is vegan and at some point it was like i just realized like dude she's like a marathoner she's the healthiest person i know and like you know it, it, it kind of like settled in somebody at a party once said to me the minute i realized i don't have to be a part of hurting animals like well, what am i doing here and so i was like ah uh, shit I guess me too okay and I dropped I stopped it's been like five years I feel exactly the same as I did I haven't gained or lost weight or I don't feel better or worse and I'm like so what's the difference let's stop so 
I'm not vegan though. So I still love egg sandwiches. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Well, I mean, got so many, like so many are coming to mind. Toni Morrison, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, wouldn't you like to get wasted with Edgar Allan Poe just to see? Absolutely. Yeah, let's say Edgar Allan Poe. I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to eat and get wasted with Poe. Awesome. Okay. All right. Last question for you, and then I'm gonna end our recording, and you and I are gonna talk dogs. But what do you hope readers take away from reading Goblin? I, I honestly hope that uh, when a reader finishes Goblin, that the a thought crosses their mind of I want to visit that city. I want to go there. I want to. I want to, um, or or maybe feel like they had just gone, but mm-hmm. but a sense a sense. I want them for one moment to just feel like that, like they were there. It was real. It's real. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect, Josh. This was a blast. Thank you for taking the time today with me. Yes, thank you. I'm uh, I'm really excited to introduce you to Valo. <laughs> yeah. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.